Hello, Cooper Days community, and welcome to another episode of the uh, Pod Control Podcast. Uh, Brian, how was your uh, Thanksgiving break? It was good. It was good. I, I think I, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I, I fried a turkey, so I didn't catch anything on fire. So that was a plus. That was a win, and uh, probably gained, you know, two or three pounds, which is kind of the goal for Thanksgiving. So everything was good. How about you? Oh yeah, pretty good. I started the week off uh, with a trip up to Vermont to go find some snow first, and then uh, yeah, finished off with uh, with some turkey. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So um, I think you know you and I have done a couple of shows in the past uh, about Windows containers because. It's one of those topics that everybody is super interested in. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, we have covered it as best we could for what we know. And I think we today finally are going to kind of solve our problem, which is let's go find somebody that's way smarter about this stuff than we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's it's a very – it's something we've talked a lot about and it's something that continues to come up talking to customers. And they're really interested in – as you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, software out there running on Windows yeah. uh, and, and kind of where does this all come together. Right. So, you know, as a lot of folks know, uh, Red Hat and Microsoft both do a lot of joint engineering, um, you know, for a lot of things, whether it's around Linux or SQL Server or, uh, you know, .NET Core or other stuff. And then obviously Kubernetes and, and Windows containers is another area where we work together quite a bit. So today we're very excited to have uh, Mike Kosterset, Kosternitz, Kostersitz. Mike, help, help me with that because everyone knows I'm terrible with, uh, with pronouncing names. But Mike is principal product manager from Microsoft and is working very closely with our engineering team. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Um, hi, Brian. Thank you very much for, for having me. And, and, and for those uh, who want to hear your name correctly, uh, please get that right for me. <laughs> sure. So my name is Mike Kostersitz. I'm a principal program manager and a core networking team at Microsoft, and I work mostly on container networking. Um, yeah. Excellent. I'm happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. So um, for anybody who uh, doesn't know you or isn't familiar with the work that you've been doing in the past or working on now, give us a little bit of your background and then what uh, what got you involved with this Windows containers and Kubernetes and uh, you know networking and stuff uh, coming together? Sure. So I've been at Microsoft for almost 25 years. Um, so next year is going to be my 25-year um, anniversary. I've filled a bunch of roles, have been 30-plus years in IT, worked on some older container technology or container-type technology in the early 2000s. So those are a little bit older. And in my age group, they will remember web hosters with banks of modems that had websites hosted. Guess what? They were using process isolation on both Linux and Windows to host hundreds and thousands of websites on a single on a single bare metal box. Um, I've been working in the cloud business um, for the last, say, since 2003, 2004, um, office, mix of Office 365, Azure, uh, mobile operator networks, and architecture for enterprise cloud migrations. Um, and I've now basically joined the container networking team in, in Core Windows about six months ago, seven months ago, to apply my network knowledge to uh, make Windows container networking and um, more powerful, more on par with what Linux can do today, and then also make sure we work with the right ecosystems partners such as Red Hat um, on integrating their products with our products. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So it's you mentioned kind of sort of you know between uh, Linux and Windows. Uh, it's one of the things that um, I find uh, fascinating talking to people about uh, containers is on the on the Linux side. 
Um, there's usually more understanding of sort of the some of those piece parts of containers have been in have been you know like C groups and namespaces and stuff have been in Linux for a while, uh, where some of these stuff that's in the modern uh, Windows containers are, are relatively new. Um, so it's it's sometimes harder to get people up to speed on that. How do you usually talk? T- from a Windows, you know, if you're talking to a group of uh, Windows uh, users or developers, and how do you usually explain to them Windows containers um, to them? So, so in general, I, I would say that in at the at the highest level, from a developer perspective, a Windows container and a Linux container aren't that much different in terms of what they can do, or what you can do with them. Um, the Windows containers might be slightly bigger, which is some of the gripes people have with it, and they might be a little bit beefier in terms of what they need from from the host. But in general, they're pretty powerful. You can do a bunch of things with them, and they make it much easier to actually migrate your existing legacy apps that you have maybe on, on Windows today on-premises to mo- move them to containers. So once you start digging down um, under the container technology, under the container itself to look at things like the networking component, how storage is accessed and so on and so forth. Linux is using namespaces in that part. Windows has some slightly different concepts that actually get you to the same place or to a very similar place. For example, in networking, we use compartments to isolate the container networks from, from each other instead of a namespace. It has a similar functionality, different name, and it, it's slightly different in terms of how it um, how it interacts with uh, the underlying platform. So, for example, in Linux, you use IP tables for all networking, routing functions, etc. And in Windows, there's several different components like a vSwitch, a, uh, a virtual filter platform. There's a bunch of other things that are involved in managing um, the IP layer or the transport layer underneath the containers and between the containers and the nodes and the pods. Um, so, in general. If you look from a developer perspective, yes, there's one supports Windows concepts, the other one supports Linux concepts, and then there's, of course, you have the underlying technology if you're building the infrastructure for it that is slightly different. You need to start understanding that. And then there's some of the things we already posted in as, as part of our networking blogs, and then there's a bunch of other things that we're doing over the next few months to actually expand knowledge um, amongst developers and infrastructure people about containers on Windows. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Definitely something we'll get uh, posted in the show notes. And, and I know Tyler and I have always been saying, um, you know, the, the one thing you you do want to do when you're thinking about, you know, kind of Linux containers and Windows containers is, you know, understand your basics, understand kind of, okay, uh, there's going to be, you know, a mechanism for, for doing routing. There's going to be, you know, mechanism for attaching to storage and all that stuff. But then we also sort of say, look, don't don't just assume that everything is exactly the same because, you know, Windows didn't necessarily have the same constructs that, that Linux has. And they, they're going to build things, like you said, that are similar, but may not necessarily be the exact same name or, or something else. Um, <clears throat> you know, as you, uh, as you, you know, obviously there's lots of, of Windows expertise within Microsoft and, and obviously you, you guys get a chance to talk to a lot of different companies and customers. Um, what are some of the basics if you sort of go through a checkbox of people if they come to you and say, hey, I, I have a Windows application, um, I'd like to get it in a container, like what are some of the really basic things they have to be aware of in terms of whether it's the version of Windows they have or if it's you know, .NET versus .NET Core? Or what are some of those most basic things that you go, you've got to do this first and then let's talk about you know, containers, networking, Kubernetes, all that other stuff? Okay. So, so in general, when you look at your, your 
existing Windows app? Um, is, is it an application that has a Win, is it a Win32 application? Does it have a user interface the user needs to load? Well, guess what? That won't work in a in a container. That's very similar to any other application that um, presents a user interface that's not a web page or not a um, uh, not renderable through an HTML or uh, rendering engine. So. If it's an application like a Win32 app, that won't work very well in a container. If it's a headless Win32 app, of course, you can just run it in the container. Um, if you have an application that requires a database backend, for example, you'll have to look at, can I split those two apart? How tightly are they configured together? That um, Would I have to run both in the same container? Which would remove some of the benefits of moving to containers and modernizing your traditional application. If you can't separate the different layers out, you lose some of those scale benefits that you get when you move to containers. So this is some of the things we'll have to take a look at before we start even looking at what we do with containers uh, or what can we move the application to containers. Um, but if you look at, a, at an existing traditional .NET app um, that that has a say a, a front end a that's a web form or something like that and or and or web page and then you have like a middle tier um, and you have a data backend then you would basically separate those out into three different containers and you or, or three different pieces and your data infrastructure might stick on a on premises or a cloud SQL server that's not containerized but or a data store in the cloud and then your middle tier and your application would run separately in a container and those containers would communicate with each other and you can scale out and scale um, in both ways uh, differently in, in as, as needs grow and, and, and go away. Yeah, that, that I mean, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Is, is you know, people I think go through some of the same sort of thought processes on the on a Linux side too. When it comes to hey, you know, like what is my app built like to you know, and I figure that out before step one's make a Docker file. You know, <laughs> step before that to uh, figure out how it fits. Um, what are what are you finding are the biggest differences right now between Kubernetes with Linux containers and Kubernetes with Windows containers and stuff that people should be aware of, sort of where it's at today plus you know going forward. Yeah, that, that's a question that usually makes me smile when I'm at a conference or somewhere where I meet with customers and they ask me that question and I always smile and so I look at them as like mostly it's the attitude towards the product. Um, Linux containers have been around for a long time. People have are, are quite some knowledge about it, as we've talked about before. And But once you get past that part where you look at, okay, so the setup's slightly different because Windows has a slightly different semantics on setting stuff up than Linux. And if you once you made all your difficult choices that you have on Linux as on Windows, which networking model am I going to use? I'm going to be an overlay network, a, a host network, a VXLAN, whatever I'm going to use, which CNI plugin am I going to choose? And then... Um, but once your containers are up, your, your infrastructure is up and running, the containers are not that different, as, as I mentioned before. Um, the one thing you might have to keep an eye out for Windows containers is, because they tend to be slightly bigger than Linux containers um, doing the same function, you might need to keep an eye out for things like density, load on the host, things like that, that might be slightly different as when you, when you size your environment. Other than that, I think there is not 
a huge difference once you get to the Kubernetes layer. Once it's all deployed and you deploy an application, the only thing you have to make sure is that it goes to the right part in your infrastructure. If it's a Windows container you're, uh, you're deploying or scaling, it needs to go to a scale unit that has Windows hosts or Windows nodes. And then if you look at the Linux container, it needs to go to Linux containers. But you can run a, a mixed environment with Linux and Windows and using Kubernetes very, very um, economically, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you may may also, you know, there'll probably be some design considerations, like like you said about some of the bigger containers. Maybe, uh, you know, make sure that you know you're you're scoping your registry right, uh, that you you know you have a sense of if you're downloading, uh, you know, large larger files, uh, you know, that that you've got the right amount of bandwidth and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> you recently published uh, a blog, sort of part one of a of a series of blogs that was. Um, you know, running Windows containers with with Red Hat OpenShift. It was kind of an introductory post, um, and I know that you're planning to do a series of posts. What are some of the other topics that that you and and the Microsoft team and the Red Hat team kind of want to you know bring forward with these things? And and you know, what are some things that uh, you know you're hearing from people asking you to, to blog about as a as a common topic? Right. So, so one of the feedback I got from from the first post, mostly interesting enough, not in the comments of the blog post, but in a lot of uh, personal email that I received through the through the website, was, "Hey, can you di- dive dive deeper into the networking part? So, how does this OVN OVS? How does this work together between the Linux side and the Windows side? Um, how does the networking infrastructure? What's the recommended infrastructure? Should we use an overlay? Should we use something else? So." I'm in the next post that's going to come out, I think, a week from today or so. Um, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into the networking portion of, of OpenShift on Windows and, and how this is set up currently with the developer preview and most likely also going forward um, into the release of it. And so we're going to look at that a little bit and we'll, we'll, uh, I'll work through some of the issues there and, and some of the concepts there. Um, the other thing I'm hearing from the developer preview customers themselves is that most of the time they get hung up in the setup somewhere because the setup steps are still pretty rough around the edges. Um, generally, they're well scripted, that they work. That's pretty good happy path. But once something goes wrong, like DHCP is not up or it's not working right, it's not handing out IP addresses, you'll find very quickly that the Linux containers work just fine, but the Windows containers can't communicate because they don't get IP addresses. And then fixing that, and, and there is not very easy way to shoehorn that back in somehow that it works and requires some tinkering. But in general, I think the, the support avenue we have between Red Hat and Microsoft and, and, the, and the forum for that, I think we have a very good uh, resolution time for those, and, and we're going to improve on that as we move forward towards the public preview sometime in 2019. Very neat. What are, what are some of the questions you're getting from people? So obviously you, you're you're deep in here in the container space and Windows and, and specifically with Kubernetes too. What's what's some of the most common questions you're getting uh, around it? And then you know maybe some more of the unusual ones. So the most common question I get, and I just had an EBC session, an executive briefing center session with a a large customer from South America this week. And the first question they asked me is like, I have 640 applications. How do I move those to containers? Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense, that question, right? Yeah. my first question back is, what are your applications? Well, most of them are some Win32 apps we run um, on the client. And how do we put those in containers? 
Um, okay. So, so you know that discussion is a long discussion. So that's kind of like one of the normal questions. Like, I have these apps. How do I get them to containers? So then you need to work and pr- pr- dig into with the customer to find out, okay, what are those applications? Which ones can we migrate? Is there anything we can do to help you modernize your application from a standard Win32 app to become a containerized, an app that can be containerized? Do you want to run those? Do I run this on-prem or do I move this to cloud? Well, the question is is one of the is, is one of the other questions we get. So, I usually look at again back at so what what are you trying to achieve? Do you already have cloud expertise? Are you already an Azure customer, an AWS customer, or GCP or whatever else it is? And so, so I work with customers there. One of the more unusual ones I've seen so far was um, can I run a Linux container on a Windows host? Yep, yep, we hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we hear that a lot. Uh, and or, the answer or, or, the or answer is maybe. Yeah, or vice, or <laughs> or vice, vice versa. versa. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And the answer is maybe sometime in the future. Yes. Yeah. Do you? Um, um, I mean, Microsoft has always done a really, really good job of sort of lifecycle management. You know, managing upgrades from one to the other and, and having lots of tooling. Are there either today or are there plans? So for that customer that said, "Hey, how would I migrate existing applications into a container?" Like. Will there be some tooling from Microsoft that will somebody will be able to run uh, a, a utility and it will go, oh, okay, cool. That's that's what you're doing, and this creates your you know the equivalent of like a Docker file. Is that something that's planned or you know exists today? Something that uh, there, it's not in our team. I know that there's another team that's working on something like that, especially for our field organizations to help customers inventorize their applications and determine which one can be containerized. I'm not sure at what stage that is, though. So, but that might be a good follow-up question and maybe a blog post I'll, I can suggest to that team. Okay, cool. Yeah, one one other uh, that I just thought of. One thing that seems to come up often, I get questions-wise, is uh, especially customers that are used to you know VM-centric world. Or even some of the fact of you know, the ability in, in Linux to do containers where your your container OS may not match your your host OS is the most common thing I hear is oh I have some apps that are running on Windows 2003 server Windows 2008 server and like oh can I run those in a basically like a 2003 container on a modern host how do you how do you address those questions? So in in Windows containers there's two forms of containers one is a virtual machine based container which is slightly bigger than your process isolated container. And and if you go with the virtual machine-based container, yes, you can theoretically run a different OS version inside that virtual machine-based container uh, compared to um, a process-based container. If you want to move to a process-based container or process isolation-based container, then the OS version has to be the same. So the app needs to be agnostic to the OS version because you share the kernel um, with the host. But there is VM-based containers where you can actually um, run different OS versions in. Um, I know we do have an issue currently with that on server 2019, and I think that has been fixed and will be serviced soon. So, But yes, that is technically possible. And and for for going kind of from a basics perspective, you know, people have to be running what sort of at least a, a late version of of server twenty sixteen or a version of server twenty nineteen, correct? Like that has to be the base. that is correct. Okay. Yes, yep. yes, yes, yes. Uh, so so the the later versions um, of of server twenty sixteen, because we've made so many changes and added so many features, um, especially in the storage and networking space, that the newer your server version is, the better it's gonna get, the better the experience gonna get, the smoother everything's gonna work for you. 
Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people have, have been asking, you know, when is uh, when is OpenShift going to support that? Um, just, you know, high level for folks that, that may have not had a, a direct sort of roadmap update from a Red Hat rep or a, a channel partner. Um, today, it's currently in developer preview, which means, um, you know, there is a path for doing it. Um, you're going to need at least uh, OpenShift 311 uh, with there's, you know, some specific things that you have to do uh, because it's still new. There's still some work going on with OVN and some other stuff. Uh, but there is a program for that. Um, it's essentially, you know, kind of best effort support. Um, and it will get uh, it will become you know closer to GA as we get towards, uh, you know, springtime of next year and, and uh, OpenShift 4. So more details that, that you can get from from your Red Hat folks. So it's definitely something that you can start playing with today. Um, you know, Mike's blog is a great place to start. There'll be other blogs on the Red Hat site as well. Um, and if you're interested, you know, feel free to reach out to, to Tyler and I or, you know, podctl at Gmail, and we'll, we'll try and help you with that as well. So, Mike, um, any topics that, that we sort of forgot that you, you hear a lot about or, or are, we, are we in pretty good shape? So I think we're in pretty good shape. There's, there's one thing that um, lots of people have been asking me is pretty much what you just mentioned is how do we get involved? How, do we, how can we play? Um, is the developer preview available broadly? Is how many people are in there? Um, and, and things like that. So, so I think if we if we can have something in the blog notes about that, how to join that developer preview, yeah. um, that might be might be a good idea and might help um, get more people involved and get you also get us more feedback on um, what we can improve. Yep. Yeah, well, we'll work on that. Uh, I know there's a there's a process to it, but we'll get that we'll get that in place for you know both Red Hat companies customers as well as you know people with with you know Microsoft customers with Microsoft applications. So, uh, mm-hmm. Mike, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed it. Um, we will definitely have to do some follow ups as as this uh, gets closer to GA and we're we're learning more things. But thank you so much for the time today. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. It was fun. And folks, with that, uh, as always, thank you for listening this week, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.